Well, I, I don't know how this is going to go tonight. It's bad time right now in the world of the Chicago Cubs. But even with that, I'm excited to talk Cubs baseball with you guys tonight. Another edition of Behind the Yellow Line. Jeremy is here. Randall is here. We said last time on the show the Cubs were embarking on what could be a very challenging road trip, and it has been a disaster. They win game one in Minneapolis. They drop the next five, and we record this on the night day, the off day, rather, between the series in Houston and a trip to Philadelphia this weekend to take on the pennant-winning Phillies. Guys, I was hoping we'd have a little bit more excitement or energy coming into the show tonight, and I thought in the eighth inning last night in Houston, okay, they're walking out of Houston with at least one win, and the bullpen gives it away. Bad time to be recording the pod here tonight. It's it's a rough time. Blow a five-run lead over the course of the eighth and ninth innings. Honestly, I have to issue an apology to Cubs fans everywhere out there. Jeremy, you and I recorded an episode, just the two of us, after the Dodgers series in L.A. We said the vibes were immaculate. This team was rolling. I don't know what the Cubs record is since we recorded that, but I have to imagine it's not good. So to Cubs fans everywhere out there, I apologize. Jeremy probably apologizes too. We jinxed it. The vibes are not immaculate anymore. I'm sorry. I should know to use my powers only for good, but here we sit. The vibes were immaculate there. You know, we we they played pretty well out there in LA. And I think the home series after LA was mm-hmm. uh, coming in after that. We had that true smiley game. That was after that. Um, but yeah, that that it's definitely been a brutal kind of run here. Five five game losing streak, you know, and uh we we talked about it and and Randall, I I, I noticed you you had some uh tweets about this last night and i was i was kind of curious if this is just venting or just more than that i noticed after the game last night in response not a uh, quote tweeting megan matsumuro who said the cubs lose and are swept by the astros they'll take a five game losing streak in tomorrow's off day you said should just take a five game off day streak the wordplay randall's famous for instead no point in watching this team at the moment was that just the moment being last night or are we talking future here uh, you know, it's last night. It's venting. It's a little bit of everything. There, there's no point in watching this team today. They're off today. So I'm I'm technically correct. The best kind of correct, Jeremy. Yeah. Uh, but, you, you know, if anybody, if the Cubs were to take like a five game, like just take a week off, just take a week, take some PTO. Uh, would anybody miss them a whole lot right now? Like, sure, we'd miss watching them. But the way they're playing right now would you're never going to get a whole week off. But would a whole week off be the worst thing in the world? You know, what's frustrating, I think, is that it's they're losing in every possible way. You've got close losses. You've got bullpen implosions. You've got blowouts. The last two games in Minneapolis after that great Friday night win were just total disasters. So they're not just losing. They're losing in every way you possibly can. And uh, really tough here. 19 and 24, just 10 days ago, we were feeling pretty good about where the Cubs were at. It's just been an awful stretch. Right. And, and, you know, uh, unfortunately, or, or fortunately, I guess not to quote some other people, but uh, I didn't get to see those games in Minnesota on Saturday and Sunday. And so those were blowouts and that, that's not yeah. good. And, you know, coming into Houston, Randall talked about last week, always kind of had that little house of whores effect, but pretty personally, I've always enjoyed seeing, you know, the Cubs in Houston, but you know, just, just brutal to not be able to pull out a win. And this is a team, you know, where we talk about, they're still, you know, I, the division's not that great. The Brewers are taking the lead. Cardinals are kind of coming back, but still kind of in with the division. And you're, you're looking, they're only three and a half back out of that six wildcard spot. So right now we're still kind of in this place. This team, at some point, if they want to be in this race, they're going to have to win some ball games. Like You can't just go on a five-game losing streak like this. Yeah. And Jeremy, to your point from the last couple of shows, 
there's been sort of a track record of long losing streaks the last couple of years here. Uh, I'm not pointing fingers so much at David Ross. We got into that more so last week, but I don't like the trend of, you know, once you start losing ball games, you, you turn a three or four game losing streak into a nine or 10 game losing streak. I mean, if this team can stay around 500 and get through this stretch of tough baseball, you're feeling all right in the middle of June. But if this road trip continues the way it's gone and then they come home, they've got the Mets, the Reds, the Rays, then after that, the Padres, like if you find yourself 10, 11, 12 games under 500, we're talking about a completely different story with this team moving into July. So it feels like a really critical stretch of baseball here. Not that they need to be perfect, but you can't find yourself getting closer to 10 games under 500. Yeah, we're it's it's going to be it's going to be June before anybody realizes it. we are a week and a half out from Memorial Day. And, you know, that's kind of the first real landmark in the season where you stop and you take stock and you say, what exactly is this team? What are their strengths? What do they do well? We're not that far away from that point. And I don't know what you would say this team necessarily does well right now. It's not necessarily pitch out of the rotation, although there have been bright spots. It's not certainly not pitch out of the bullpen. The offense is, I would not call it reliable on a night-to-night basis, but Christopher Morell is helping a great deal. I look forward to kind of getting to Memorial Day and turning around and looking at the two months that were and saying, what is this team and what exactly do we think they're going to be? And if they keep playing like this, I don't think the assessment is going to be a fun one. Well, on that podcast you brought up before, uh, Randall, we we talked about like when you when one of us would be willing to, you know, kind of go all in on this ball club and take mm-hmm. take off the cup as I put it and i i said you know if they're around in memorial day i i actually said labor day you <laughs> did. Corrected that might have been the better call at this point right. labor day <laughs> but i meant memorial day um uh that I'm, I'm going for it and you know they're still kind of hanging around there and hopefully you know coming up on the schedule coming up or coming up on the schedules like the teams they're playing are right kind of in the same area that they are and some of these teams are expected to be better than that uh the mets the padres the phillies and these teams are scuffling right now kind of in a similar vein as the cubs right so this is kind of a chance to really kind of i don't think they have to go out and really you know you know sweep these clubs or hopefully you know you can win a series or two here but you just kind of don't just let these teams kind of walk all over you they get back into their groove and the cubs are now as ronan said 10 games under a bunch of games out like just hang around. If they can hang around until June, there's a chance here, I think, that they can kind of go on a run. And maybe, you know, some of the things – I think the bullpen, and we'll get into it a little bit later, I think that will kind of shake out as the year goes on. Um, so, you know, this is a very – as Ronan said, it's a very critical stretch coming up. The thing with the bullpen, too, and there are specific players that we'll get to talk about, but what's been so jarring to me is – Jed Hoyer, this front office, the last number of years, they've been really good about putting together competitive bullpens. And we said sort of all offseason, I'm not that worried about the bullpen. Like, we don't necessarily know who's going to be the closer every day. Some positions are going to get ironed out. This has just been a brutal stretch where it's like every guy that they put out there is just just buckling in that moment. And that will happen from time to time with the bullpen. I'm just surprised that an area that I think the three of us felt coming into the year would maybe be a strength or at least not a worry for the team has ended up being the real black eye with this team over the last two weeks. 
last night was brutal, right? Obviously, we all saw it. But even going into last night, like I thought Mark Leiter Jr., yeah, he gave up a couple of runs, but he got three strikeouts and he, he kind of pitched pretty well. It was a little bit off. Uh, you know, Brandon Hughes came in a very, very difficult situation, obviously. Yes. It wasn't kind of quite, you know, for him, but he's pitched pretty well. There's a lot of guys in this bullpen that I feel like have pitched pretty well for the most part. I mean, if you look overall as a pen, they are they're seventh in baseball in in XFIP, uh, expected fielding independent pitching. So like that kind of shows that like some of it, like a guy like Michael Fulmer is a guy who's been hit harder than what his peripherals show. I mean, some of it, some of the pitchers have been bad. So I'm kind of thinking like maybe a Fulmer is a guy that might see a turnaround. They, they have arms like Assad and Estrada that maybe will get more of an extended stay in the bullpen because they've been kind of running, riding the shuttle up and down from Iowa. And then you're looking at, you know, we're going to talk about him later, but, you know, Brad Boxberger being hurt, who was not effective at all. Uh, we'll see what happens with Keegan Thompson, who, you know, just got drilled last night. So yeah. I just feel like in the future, I, I still feel like the future of the bullpen, there's some pieces in there. I mean, Michael Rucker is another guy who's pitched pretty well that are just going to kind of will prioritize the good pitchers and kind of see less of the bad pitchers. And there is help coming. We're we're seeing really encouraging things with Cody Hoyer, for example, in the farm. Um, And this stuff happens like every I, I tell you, ask any fan base in baseball how's the state of your bullpen and every single fan base is going to say our manager never knows when to put the right guy in why do we not have better relievers that is probably the most difficult part of constructing a major league team is trying to think you know what you're doing with most of those guys in the bullpen and it's rearing its ugly head right now for us yeah i don't think you could get all 30 fan bases to agree on much i feel like at the top of everyone's complaint is always going to be the manager, whether it's lineups, bullpen usage, and then the bullpen itself. Does anybody yeah. really trust their bullpen? Is there anybody, any fan base out there who trusts their bullpen night in? And I say, yeah, no, they got it. This is fine. As long as you have a lead, they're going to hold it. Does anybody think yeah. that? Well, I think the other two comparable things that fan bases jump on with would be our team can't hit with runners in scoring position, yes. right? Everybody feels that. And when in Everybody. reality – Teams are generally all very close to each other and how they produce with runners in scoring position. And maybe the other one too would be like called third strikes or, or taking that third strike. Like these are the three things that I think grind every single fan base, even the best teams. We'd be even better if our bullpen was more consistent or if we could just get those damn runs in when they're on base. I think those are the big three that pops up with everybody. Right. You always hear that, uh, you know, like a runner on third, less than two hours. Well, our team is just terrible at getting that guy in, you know, <laughs> but there's a lot of situations you can look at, you know, for the most part. Yeah. And, and for the most part, the good teams, you know, it, it just plays out to how well you hit, to be honest. Um, But, you know, just speaking of the bullpen, too, like we talked about also with Jed about like this isn't a team that was expected to come in and and, and be like a super competitive World Series contender team. And so, you know, even the best bullpens that you you pay money for, like there's unless you're getting a really elite reliever, it doesn't really make sense to spend so much money on the bullpen. And it kind of makes sense to kind of build your bullpen through this type of not necessarily trial and error, but bringing up a lot of young guys, bringing some older guys that have kind of come in off, you know, cheaper contracts like Michael Fulmer, or Brad Boxberger, just kind of putting this amalgamation of bullpen. And a lot of times that works out and it has worked out for the Cubs, you know, the past couple of years, like you can look at David Robertson as a guy they brought in. A lot of people were like, why would you take a chance on this guy? And they got maybe one of their best pitching prospects yeah. back for him or Chris Martin, the kind of a similar situation. Um, so I, I still think, I still kind of have faith in their ability to figure the bullpen out, but with the way this team's been playing, like, like last night you have to win that game. 
and and even I was critical of some of the decision making of by David Ross. But at the end of the day, like Keegan Thompson came into the into the situation where I think he was facing like the bottom of the Astros order. Like you have to at least get it out there. You have to get through there. So you you can if you're not gonna get three outs, you have to put at least allow Brandon Hughes to come in in a situation where he can shut the door. Yeah, we spent most of last week's episode lamenting David Ross's struggles. At some point, the players have to actually get the job done. And Ross can't go out there and pitch himself, as interesting as that would be. Uh, this whole podcast has actually witnessed David Ross pitching, and uh, I don't remember it going especially well. At some point, the players have to get the job done. And when they don't do that, it makes the manager look bad. And, you know, that's, I guess, that's the other one of the other things that the fan bases all might agree on is that the manager gets an inordinate amount of blame when things are going poorly, but gets very little credit when things are going right. Not necessarily defending David Ross here. I think he's responsible for a lot of these struggles, but at some point the players have to go out there and get the job done. And that has not been happening on this road trip or even prior to that. Well, let's uh, look at some of these players who've really not been getting it done. And we got to start with Keegan, right? You mentioned it, Jeremy. It was awful last night for him in Houston. Three earned runs, didn't record an out. And he comes into a situation, you know, the eighth inning was messy. You get Keegan out there. He's still got a couple run lead. And I'm thinking this is actually a great spot for him. He has been bad. And that's the second time in two weeks now he's allowed at least three earned runs in a ball game. What's going on with Keegan? This is a big red flag right now. Right. And, and we talked in spring training at the end of spring training, what are our confidence levels in Keegan Thompson? Cause his velocity was down and we all commented on it in spring training and his velocity has pumped back up a little bit uh, here during the season, but he's not really missing bats and he's not being able to, to spot his stuff. And he's walking a lot of batter, uh, a lot of batters and he's not striking anybody out. Uh, so it's kind of a, I, I feel like right now he has not been pitching well at all. And he had a low kind of shiny ERA, but it's mostly just been getting by on, like on variance on luck and so i think i think me personally at this point uh when a guy like cody hoyer is ready or or somebody else can come up i i think he's got to go down and they got to figure out what's going on with him they got to kind of stretch him out i don't i don't think right now he's a guy that you can kind of have carry on this bullpen and and throw out there especially in critical situations like last night i mean it was a three-run game it wasn't like the game was out of you know handle for the for a good team like the Astros yeah Jeremy I'm with you I think you have to send him down to Iowa if he's not trying to pitch through an injury he you're not putting one of the you're not putting the roster in a position to succeed if he's going to go out there and to the extent that you still intend to compete you can't have him trying to figure it out I think the right thing to do is send him down to Iowa and bring Cody Hoyer back. And something we'll get into is that maybe your two potential reinforcements, they are both going to need 40 man spots. And those of course are at a premium. They're both coming off extended injuries. And so the team is going to have to navigate that. But I agree with you completely. I think Keegan Thompson needs to work it out at Iowa. I don't think you have the luxury of letting him work it out at the major league level right now. Yeah. It's tough. Cause I don't know that there's one guy right now, that I have total confidence. You put that guy in a a one-run game or a 10-run game that they're going to be able to keep it going. And that's not where you want it to be in the middle of May with this team. I think my one guy in that regard is probably Adbert. And even then, you'd still be sitting there worrying that the the problems against left-handed batters are going to creep up or he's going to lose his command and start walking dudes. So I think that one guy right now is Adbert. And to say nothing bad of Adbert, because I think he's done a tremendous job out of the bullpen. I think he's really found his role down there. But if that's kind of your relief ace right now, I think that's an indictment of the rest of the bullpen. 
Uh, yeah, and there, and two things I kind of want to mention about last night's game, and and one of them is I think specifically about Adbert is you know he, maybe he could have gone a little bit longer than uh, the situation called for that he was pitching in last night. But another thing is I remember there being a, an error by Patrick Wisdom on a pretty you know a routine play that probably should have gotten out of the inning, and Drew Smiley threw a lot of pitches after that error that probably could have gotten out of the inning. And I kind of felt like watching it, even in that moment, like, you know, this could kind of come back to screw the Cubs because their bullpen is might not be like if Smiley could have gotten another out or another gotten into another inning like that error kind of was a big deal because it kind of forced Smiley out of the game earlier. And Smiley's been pitching great. He could have been a stopper there. And, you know, I would have liked to have seen Adbert kind of maybe covered some of what Smiley was missing. And so I, I just think, you know, Adbert's a guy who can go multiple innings. Most of the bullpen was fresh last night. Is Jeremiah Estrada a guy that needs to be getting more innings right now, given the state of the rest of the pen? Absolutely. I, I think you are in a position where you absolutely have to give him an extended look. He's got velocity. We know he's got great stuff. The rest of the bullpen is not pitching so great that you can afford to not give him a chance. Maybe he does poorly. And so what? Then the bullpen continues pitching poorly, or maybe he really finds himself and excels and you can start to try and turn this bullpen around. I don't think you have anything to lose by giving him some high leverage opportunities and see how he handles it. He can't do any worse than anybody else has done right now. I, I agree with Randall. I think that Estrada, you know, he's one of the few guys that's obviously can give you like real high velocity and he has a pretty good fastball. Uh, his, you know, breaking pitch off speed pitch, not super great, but you can work with that. Uh, and I think, you know, right now, just in very limited, obviously, outings, he he, yeah, he has a huge strikeout numbers and, and high walk numbers, but he has the huge strikeout numbers to go with it. Uh, you know, he, he, he has the highest walk rate on the team in the bullpen right now, which is just higher than Keegan. But the difference is Keegan's only striking out like six guys per nine and Jeremiah Strata strike out 15 guys per nine in that limited time. So I think you, you got to give him, you got to, I think I would give him more opportunity than I would be giving Keegan. I know Keegan is kind of more in probably Ross's mind, more reliable because he's been around longer and he's done some things, but Estrada's coming up. He's throwing hard. I think you got to give him some situations, you know, if you got to give him the chance at least to see, because maybe there is a really elite arm there that's going to be shut down. And so far it's been that. Yeah. So put him in some tougher spots. They're so damn fickle, Jeremy, these major league bullpens. It's yes. got to drive managers and general managers and front office guys totally crazy, right? And it's so important, especially if you've got intentions of winning a pennant or trying to win a World Series. you got to have those guys at the at a bullpen that can lock things down. It has to be just a constant worry for people that try and build baseball rosters on who are we getting in this bullpen? Who can we count on? You look at the Mets, too. You have one of these great closers, right? You got all this excitement coming to the year. A fluke injury puts him out for the year, and you're paying all this money to a guy that can't contribute to your team anymore. It's got to be crazy for those guys. It's got to be crazy, especially when you look at most relievers, the majority of relievers, like, it's kind of almost like a year to year thing with them. Like some mm -hmm. guys can be lights out one year and then the next year they're just all over the place. And even, you know, kind of game to game, like, like you, if you're trying to look at numbers for relievers, like a really bad game, especially early in the season could just distort everything for relievers numbers. Cause like just one day they didn't have it. They gave up three runs, didn't get an out. And next thing you know, like your, your statistics have just, skyrocketed so yeah definitely it's it's probably the most frustrating position but that's why you just got to have a, like a lot of arms in your stable yeah and you just try to figure out which 
which ones are the best and and you go with those guys i i think you go with those guys no matter what their the name says on the back of the jersey just who's pitching the best well if it's a stable it's more of a, a horse pen than a than a bullpen but it, it, there's if there's one thing we know it's that relievers are fickle you can go from all-star closer to minor league contract in just a few years time i always think of jeremy i think am i thinking of Derek turnbow who had the long hair just a, a great season as a closer great two two three seasons as a closer and then tries to make it work with another team falters it just doesn't work hector rondone of the cubs was a stud out of the back end of the bullpen 2015 2016 even 2014 and he never quite got it back after 2016 even dan kolb i'm gonna drop a dan mm. kolb mm. on the pod tonight another guy who was traded for as this this stud closer and just lost it completely after being acquired by was it did he go brewers to braves was that the trade you're just thinking all about brewers bullpen. i know look at this. well, <laughs> well you, wow are you think a franchise like the brewers has subsisted on like flash in the pan guys so there's statistical. Yeah, proof. I think he, he want Rangers, Brewers, Braves. Yeah. So and that is the nature of relievers. And it is the relievers who are not subject to that variance season to season who go on to become the, the best at their position. But relievers are fickle. We say all yeah. the time, do not love relievers for they will not love you back, especially year to year. Yeah. And you're you're going on this Brewers kind of thing with your Derek Turnbow. I wasn't sure what first if you meant Derek Turnbow or you meant. Uh, John Axford with the long hair as a closer. He says in multiple of those guys, and he fell off pretty quick too. He like hit one yep. or two great seasons and fell off. But yeah, exactly. Uh, and just looking up Dan Cold uh, as you mentioned, uh, his uh, his uh, an Illinois State guy. I was looking at his baseball mm, reference. That's right. from the town of Walnut, Illinois, which is not wow. a place I've necessarily heard of. But he was yeah. born in Sterling, Illinois, which is a place I have been to many a time. Walnut and Sterling, or at least Walnut. Definitely sounds like a place where if you look it up on Google Maps, it's going to come up surrounded by green to suggest that there's not a whole lot going on around it. Like it just sounds like a place like that. Well, uh, speaking of former Brewers relievers, you know, one of the big stories, right? If, if you if you choose to talk Cubs baseball on the Internet or you read Cubs fans talking about Cubs baseball on the Internet, a trend I've noticed this week has been the Cubs didn't bring in enough veteran relievers. That was the problem. They didn't bring in enough veteran relievers. Well, one of the veteran relievers they brought in is a former Brewer, Brad Boxberger. And he was a guy that we thought would get a lot of late inning opportunities. Now he's out with a forearm strain. It's not what you want to hear for a pitcher. Anytime the forearm or the shoulder seems to pop up, you're looking at a serious problem. So big question marks around Randall's guy, Brad Boxberger at this moment. Well, he's he's box Bradberger now. They put him back in the box. Yeah, the forearm strain for a pitcher is never a good sign because that's one of those injuries that half the time seems to lead to something really serious, uh, often to Tommy John. Boxberger's 34. You can't pitch forever. And, you know, if, if this is the sort of thing that is going to keep him out for an extended period, and again, forearm strain, it's that kiss of death for a pitcher, you're going to need to replace that because he was going to be counted upon in a pretty significant role as a, a reliable setup guy and occasional closer. And I would argue you've already lost that because he hasn't been very good. But if you are losing that tangibly because he is going to be hurt for an extended period, that's another spot you're going to have to fill. And it's not like the Cubs don't have some really good arms at AAA Iowa who can come up and contribute, but that's another change you're going to have to make on the fly. So you never want to hear forearm strain for a pitcher. It doesn't typically end well. No. It it doesn't typically end well, but I'm I'm gonna 
I'm going to be a little bit, uh, I don't know if necessarily, I'm going to sound like probably, you know, kind of a, an asshole here, but uh, well, that's okay. We've all done it. I'm kind of like, <laughs> like I'm kind of relieved by this, right? I, to be honest, like I don't wow. want Brad Boxberger to be hurt at all. I, I hope he has is healthy, uh, and I hope he pitches well. But Brad Boxberger had been really bad, like really bad, and I'm kind of relieved that he's just not going to be around for David Ross to continuously put him out there because he's a guy I would be worried about. Well, they signed this veteran. He has the name. He has the pedigree. And they're going to kind of keep throwing him out there when he's been really bad this year. Like, he's been very bad. Now, maybe some of that is because of the forearm strain, and he's been hurt. Who knows? But I like the idea that, okay, now he's not there anymore. Let's fill this in with kind of somebody else who we don't have to worry about trying to get Brad Boxberger into ball games and get him in work. So. Jeremy, you know, I, I I get what you're saying. You're certainly not rooting for the injury, but if it takes him out of a position to be bad for this team and you're able to use that spot to promote somebody who can do the job better, it's not the worst thing in the world. And again, I get what you're saying. No, you never want to root for an injury, but it gives you an it gives you an easy out. And this team has been skeptical, not skeptical, um, uh, hesitant. There we go. This team has been hesitant to really jettison those veteran guys out of, you know, respect for the player or whatever. And so if Boxberger is injured and takes the decision out of their hands, there's a way to spin that potentially into a net positive for the team. Well, where's Kyle Farnsworth and Mike Remlinger when you need a lefty and a righty in the bullpen? Well, Kyle Farnsworth is probably still playing semi-pro football in Florida because he gets to hit people there. So uh, if you need him, you know, just you put up a giant uh, searchlight in the sky and the signature is him tackling Paul Wilson and he'll know exactly what it means. It's the racky tax signal. Jeremy, I got a question for you. You're the big college baseball guy on the pod here. And I'm just thinking about Brad Boxberger, a first round pick in 2009 for the Cincinnati Reds. People might not remember that. Do you know where Brad Boxberger played his college ball? Uh, I don't know if I would have known off the top of my head when you asked me. However, I was currently staring at his baseball reference okay. page before right. you asked oh, me well. the question, so I do know it. <laughs> well, you must have I don't Jedi know if I would have known off the top of my head. I would have had to think about it pretty hard. I was actually looking at his baseball reference and being surprised that he's only 5'10", 211 pounds. I was like, wow, he's a pretty small guy for a relief pitcher yeah. uh, coming out the pen. I was looking at it. But uh, the correct answer, I believe, to your question is USC. Yes. Southern California. Southern California, yes. Yes, yes. Not yeah. South Carolina, which is also a good baseball school. I knew he was a California guy, and I just was thinking, I, I don't know that I'd ever thought much about where he played college ball. Uh, first round pick, though, 2009 by the uh, Cincinnati Reds. Um, also drafted in the 2006 draft by the Kansas City Royals. So picked a couple of times. We'll see what happens with Brad Boxberger. Uh, but yeah, anytime I can drop a Kyle Farnsworth, more than happy to talk about that. Uh, one other know, thing on the you know yeah, Kyle Farnsworth has dropped dropped some people in his time. Yeah. When Kyle Farnsworth is around, something is going to drop. He was fun. It, that that guy in the Cubs bullpen when I was what 12, 13, 14, 15, or 13, 14, 15, that early 2000s Your window. formative years. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Loved watching him. And I remember, I've mentioned this on the show before, but I remember prior to that when Kyle Farnsworth was a starter and mm-hmm. the family driving up to Milwaukee, the old park in Milwaukee, and watching Kyle Farnsworth. And there was a lot of talk at the time because he was a hard thrower. It was the year after KW made his debut. The Cubs got another Kerry Wood type guy here <laughs> in Kyle Farnsworth. Well, not quite, but to Farnsworth's 
benefit here. He had a very long major league career, very, very successful career, uh, all things told. The guy just kept going and going and going. He found himself with new teams. So good for Farnsey. Uh, one other thing on the pitching front before we talk offense, uh, roster move here. Hayden Wesneski, who has struggled, sent back down to Iowa. And I think we can all assume here it's Kyle Hendricks time. It seems that Kyle Hendricks is ready to join the team here again very soon. Yeah, David Ross protecting his young pitcher, saying, you know, don't think we, we don't look at it as a demotion, a demotion as much as we need arms in the bullpen after Wesneski got lit up pretty good. But yeah, the writing is on the wall here. Um, it's it's disappointing. Wesneski came out of the spring with such great results, and I think we had very high hopes. Uh, I, it, one of us, and I'm not casting shade here, it might have been me, maybe it was Ronan. One of us definitely in our you know last preseason pod said Wisniewski might be the most exciting pitcher to watch on the staff. Well, that has not borne out. It's, you know, best laid plans of mice and men. But I, I hope Wisniewski doesn't take it too hard. Um, you know, they demoted him right before this Houston series. He's from Houston. Uh, you know, and they said on the broadcast, you have, of course, 72 hours to report after a demotion. He probably stuck around for like a day, saw his family. But that has to suck. You were getting used to maybe not pitching, but at least, uh, you know, being in the dugout a series in your hometown as a major yeah. leaguer for the first time you don't get that i hope he doesn't take it too hard i hope he goes down to iowa fixes whatever is wrong i hope he hopes he come back but yeah the writing is on the wall and the writing is in um excellent academic script because the professor is the one writing on the wall oh, and oh i think boy. it's i think it's a a harbinger that he will be back sooner versus later I, i'm with you totally on that being tough for hayden you, you want to go back he talked about growing up roy oswald was the yeah. guy that he loved. And he was a kid. That was his Kyle Farnsworth, I guess. Uh, maybe better his Kerry Wood, right, to me as a kid growing up being a Cubs fan. But that was the guy. He said that he was expecting like 20 to 25 tickets per game Oof. for the three games there. And he wasn't Oof. slated to pitch. Right. So what I think about with that is that's a good time. If you're a major league pitcher and you're in a city and you know you don't really have to work the next day and you got a lot of friends and family there, you're going to have a nice time, right? You're going to see the boys. You're going to have a good time and enjoy it. So that was a bummer. Um, also, the media can get shafted by that a little bit too. Marquis earlier that day put out this amazing story about him <laughs> going back home. It was like the feature story of the day for Marquis. And within two hours of it going up, that's it. He's out. It just, it was a tough break, right? Because it was a cool story that ultimately we didn't get to see that play out. Yeah, boy, if that doesn't describe Marquee right now, and they seem to be struggling as much as the Cubs on some of these broadcasts to put out a featurette on a player, and then he gets uh, demoted just hours yeah. later. That's a that's it's a little too it's a little too fine of a metaphor, right? And 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 for Wesneski, before that start kind of in Minnesota, he had actually kind of turned things around. He had only allowed three <laughs> runs in his three previous starts, uh, even even going back to. Uh, LA and Oakland, if you want to add those two in like his last five starts, he'd only allowed nine runs. So uh, he had been kind of turning it around, but then that kind of Minnesota kind of happened. And because we'd been talking like, what's going to happen when Kyle Hendricks comes back? And it seems like they really wanted, they got killed in Minnesota. They really wanted to get some relievers in. They have this opportunity now with a few off days, as we were talking about coming up, to kind of go with a four-man rotation until Kyle kind of comes back. Um, which might be like in a week, you know. So I, I I understand the move, but hopefully, like Hayden, he had some good performances in this last month or so. So hopefully he go he does go down there and, and kind of figures out what's you know working for him and sticking to it and putting that pressure back on the Cubs to you know bring him back up because yeah. who knows what we'll get in Kyle Hendricks. Yeah. Well, Hayden will be back. 
It's a matter of time. Hopefully he can, to your point, write the ship down in Des Moines. Uh, him and Caleb Killian suddenly down there in Iowa. Them two guys to keep an eye on and see which one of them will be back first and what role is going to make the most sense for them. But uh, definitely it will be must-see when Kyle gets on the mound again. I, I didn't think we'd see him at all this year. So the fact that he's going to be coming up uh, is definitely going to get my attention. And, and I, you just got to be optimistic. Like, what if, right? What if he's figured it out? What a huge boost that would be for this team. Uh, and I'd much rather think about that than the alternative at this point in time. And, and the one thing with Kyle, you know, he always kind of, it always kind of felt like, except for the, maybe that, the 2020 year where he had that first start of the season in July, it always feels like with Kyle that he kind of gets off to this really slow start and then he has to figure out his mechanics and kind of really take off like in May. And I'm wondering now that he's kind of had this rehab start, you know, like maybe that kind of takes some of that away from him. Like maybe he can come back like kind of in gear already because he did kind of struggle early in his rehab start, but he has kind of turned around with these last couple of games. And so maybe like, you know, it always takes him a month to kind of get to be Kyle Hendricks, it used to at least. And so maybe like we've seen that month already in Des Moines because they say he's throwing harder. Yeah. Yeah. All the way back up to 90. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll see. It'll be must-see baseball for sure when he's out there on the mound. Um, We've been kind of sour. I think on this show, and rightfully so, right? The Cubs in the last week, they're a game and a half up on St. Louis and the Cardinals are about to beat the Dodgers. So that's going to be one game by the time that this airs. They're five back from Milwaukee right now. So when you're much closer to last place than first place, it's not the spot you want to be in in the middle of May. But there have been some bright spots along the way. And one of them is in right field. Seiya Suzuki is back. He is healthy. And the big question maybe with him over the last three weeks is where's the power? Well, we got a taste of the power. Two home runs Wednesday in Houston, four on the road trip. We're finally seeing the slug here from Seiya, and that has been fun to watch. Well, Jeremy says all the time, he hits the ball real hard. He makes good contact. There just hasn't been any lift underneath it, and he's uh, he, he's found the wind beneath his wings. And again, if there is to be any hope of this Cubs team uh, competing, you are going to need you're going to need power. You don't have a whole ton of it. And some of it is going to need to come from Seiya Suzuki. And he's found that power stroke between him and Morel coming back. You've got a little bit of power in the lineup. Morel just ridiculous four home runs in six games. It's insane. And it's good to have him back and doing that, that, that great dimension to his game. Uh, you're going to need power and Seiya finding his power stroke is helping a great deal. I agree. I, you know, I, as, we, I talked, I brought him up a couple of weeks ago. Like, where were we all feeling about Seiya Suzuki? Because I was surprised at some of the kind of, I don't know if I'm going to use the right word, but hate that he had been like receiving from a lot of people. Like I had seen some things written about him, you know, like Seiya sucks or Seiya whatever. And I'm like, I, I, first of all, he hasn't, he missed all spring training. So like he's been getting back into this. And then secondly, like he been really hitting the ball hard as Randall says that I say he has been hitting the ball hard and I would just like look at his baseball savant page and there'd be so much red and I'm like at some point this has to kind of even out like he, he even the other day he he smoked a ball up the center and Jimmy Pena made an incredible play on him and he must have been feeling like oh, I'm hitting these balls so hard when is this going to turn around and it has turned around lately in these last couple in this last week really like he's kind of had a month in a week like his numbers have gone straight up he's the first ever japanese baseball player uh japanese born baseball player to hit three uh home runs in three consecutive uh 
plate appearances. So take that, Shohei Itani. Uh, Say has got that. And uh, so, yeah, I've been a I'm a fan of his. I I, like hopefully the defense kind of comes around too in right field. But the man's hitting the ball hard. And once he starts putting the ball in the air, like he hit some bombs last night. And so I'm I'm I think Saya is going to be really providing some power. I, I I'm expecting big things from him. Yeah, I hope so. It's so important. You need slugging from right field. In fact, you need slugging in an optimal lineup right now at all the corners. And Ian's been fine and left. Patrick Wisdom is a flawed baseball player, but he hits a ton of home runs. He's got 12 to lead the Cubs up to this point. So then you got the right side, and there hadn't been slugging up to this point. First base has been a black hole for the Cubs this year, and we'll talk about Mervis here in a minute. But first base is not producing, and DH is not producing for the Cubs. That's another position that you need slugging coming out of. So to get right field, to get Saya finally hitting the ball uh, out of the ballpark and getting these extra base hits, it's huge for this team. Because, again, you need the corners to be producing a lot of power. And I think it's in left. I think it's at third. We're not getting it at DH. We're not getting it first. And we're finally getting it in right field. And you need that. Right. I, 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 I'm, I'm a fan of Saya. I, you know, I was actually skeptical of him uh, coming over. I'm always kind of probably more on, on this pod maybe the most skeptical of, of the players coming over from overseas. But I, to me, it's like everything he's done, he's just hit the ball hard. And you look at his baseball savant page now, and it's just total red. It's all to the right. It, even what wasn't before was now, you know, it's coming off a career day or whatever yesterday, but still. And so I, I just think, I think he's going to hit the, continue to hit the ball hard. And so I, I think he can get, you know, 25 homers out of him. I'll give you credit for something, Jeremy, and I seldom do that. I, I like yes. to point out when I can do the opposite. Well, Jeremy, you messed this up. You got this I'm wrong. I'm surprised. But I'm going to give you credit on this one here. Uh, a couple of years ago, there was a highly touted prospect out of Japan, Shogo, who ended up in Cincinnati. And Randall and I were very interested in him coming to the Chicago Cubs. Wanted I was it to all in. I was all yeah. in on the Shogo show. Randall loves the Japanese players, loves for them to get into Wrigley Field and be able to contribute. And Jeremy was like, no, this is not the guy, especially as that contract kept creeping up and up and up. You're like, this is a disaster. All right, Jeremy, you're right on that one, right? So glad the Cubs did not try to make that happen. That obviously didn't work out for him in the major leagues. So just when you start talking about Japanese players, I think about how sure Randall and I was that this guy was going to help the Cubs and he ends up being a bust for the Reds. Yeah, well, you know, on that specifically, Shogo Akiyama, it was like more the contract was just so big that the Reds signed into, in my opinion, that I was like, I was interested in him too because he had the contact skills, but he was like 31. I'm, I was like, who knows how it's going to translate necessarily because whenever guys come over, we see their walk rates go down. We see their power numbers go down. So like, you can't just take their Japanese skill. But uh, that number, I remember just being like, I'm mad, you know, we all want the Cubs to spend, but in my opinion, like there's still, you still have to make baseball moves. Yeah. Like it has to make sense. baseball Well, you had that one, right. And because I just complimented you, Rarely. I want to also throw in here, Jackson Frazier, folks, Jackson Frazier was Killing a guy. It. Jeremy was all about in Charlotte. <laughs> Killing it in Charlotte. Just oh, destroying I, baseballs. I right can't now wait. Charlotte Knights. Well, I know you get to a couple of Sox games a year and I commend you for that. If I was back in Chicago, I'd be out there with you uh, all of the time. I'd, I'd love to get down to some Sox games and just take in more major league baseball. Uh, they have had a disaster across their outfield. Their big free agent signing still doesn't have a home run for the White Sox. So uh, maybe Jackson Frazier pops up. And I look forward to you getting to a Sox game in a couple of weeks and cheering on your guy, Jackson Frazier. Um, here's a Cubs back guy. Clint, by the way. 
Uh, you're right, Clint Frazier. Yeah, but um, he's Jackson in my mind from now on. When you when you change your name once as a major leaguer, <laughs> that's, that's it. Again. That's yeah, you don't get again. to do it two, three, four, five times, especially if you're Jackson Frazier. You don't get the the sway or the ability to do that. He, he's Clint in your program, but he's Jackson in your heart. By the way, a 1.283 OPS in Charlotte with five Amazing. home runs in 14 games. Amazing. <laughs> Well, you will see him at Sox Park here at some point. Uh, let's talk about a Cubs prospect that we've been really excited about, and it's been an awkward first 10 games or so. Matt Mervis at first base. So the good news, he gets his first home run off the pole in right field down there in Houston. The bad news is it's been a slow start for him offensively. He's still striking out about 40% of the time. Uh, was talking with my dad today on the phone, and he's worried about the Cubs. He's upset with the state of the roster right now, and he said – well, you know, give Mervis a little bit more time, but if he struggles, you always send him back down to Iowa. I know it's been rough, but just play him. Just put him out there every damn day, and let's see what happens here. I don't like any of the other options at first. So while it hasn't been great, I want to see more and more Matt Mervis. What do you think? Yeah, keep keep him up. I don't think there's anything left to prove by keeping him, him at Iowa. I said you don't necessarily have the luxury of letting Keegan Thompson figure it out. You, you need to kind of carve out space to have the luxury of letting Mervis figure it out at the big league level. I think he factors into your long-term plans much more crucially. You need to let him figure it out. You said the strikeouts to walk, not good. 16 strikeouts, only two walks in his 43 plate appearances. There's nothing he's doing right now that's a particularly great number. OPS plus of 56. The home run was nice. And, you know, hopefully he can build on that and he can start making better contact. But like you said, in his first 10 games, it's been a big adjustment. And I think we knew that. I think Mervis, there was enough uncertainty about him as a prospect, despite the gaudy numbers. I think we all expected there would be an adjustment period. Don't let it snowball beyond that. Don't let it be more than just an adjustment period. Have him make those adjustments, work with the coaches, and he can do it. His numbers have improved. His uh, his uh, rate stats have improved at every level. Just give him the space needed yeah. to, you know, he's not going to hit the 340 or whatever at the major league level, but give him the space needed to figure it out because you are going to need him going forward, if not this season, if you have any hope of competing. Because, you know, it's not like you have another great first baseman waiting in the wings, nor is there another great option out there in free agency. Well, I, I kind of think, like, I agree with you uh, guys in saying that Mervis uh, needs to be up. Like, there's no reason why, in my opinion, you, you shouldn't give him every opportunity to be playing. Like, first of all, he's 25 years old. Like, he's already kind of gone through, you know, Iowa. He's demolished Iowa last year and this year. Uh, at some point, like, he needs to face major league pitching. And you need to figure out what you have there, good or bad. Because in my opinion, if if he does struggle, if you don't really think he's the guy, then you, I think you, you do prepare for the future and to see the move on. I, I don't, I don't necessarily think that like if Matt Mervis is, I mean, I hope that he be, he becomes the guy and I hope he is the guy, but uh, if he struggles and, and doesn't really kind of adjust and can't do it, then yeah, you need to know whether or not you need to try to make first base, whether or not in free agency trade, whatever next year, yeah. and to be, if you want to be competitive and you need to know is Matt Mervis that guy, but uh, I agree. I, I think there's no reason why, he shouldn't have that opportunity. He raises your ceiling regardless. Like if, if he struggles, well, I mean, what were Trey Mancini and Eric Cosmer doing? What are they going to do if you put him in there? Maybe he is, maybe he, he does hit well. And then, you know, he, then he raises your ceiling. Once again, it's 10 days. I'm not judging anything no. he's done so far. I think, you know, I, I just throw this all out. Yeah. I, 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 it's not like, I think he's not the guy. I don't want to, sound like i'm being negative about him no, um, no, no but but i think he's come in tough situations like the cubs 
they've been playing the Cardinals, the Twins, the Astros. He's gotten some. The Marlins have great pitching. These are the teams he's facing. He hasn't really. Yeah. They didn't really bring him up in that easy situation. We thought they might bring him in, like the Nationals, or sure. which is close to home, by the way, in Baltimore, or uh, you know, the Marlins at in Miami because he could have gotten through. So, I I I think there's no reason to even if I don't care if he goes out and strikes out the next. 25 plate appearances. I still want to see him out there. I don't, I don't think yeah. it makes sense to send him down. No, there's a big spotlight on him though. So everything, every at bat, every plate appearance, there's just a little bit extra attention, uh, but that's a good thing, right? That means that there's a lot to be excited about with him and, and hopefully he can figure it out. Did you see that uh, first home running hit? So it bounces off yeah. the foul pole and right back onto the field. Initially it got thrown back into the crowd. The Cubs had to go and track it down. God, where is the situal awareness, awareness, situational awareness. That's what I'm trying to say here. To, why, how does that ball end up back in the crowd, Randall? That's amateur hour down there in Houston. That is Bush League is what it is. Uh, the Astros right fielder, whoever was playing right field, I'm not going to learn their name, but the Astros right fielder needs to be more aware of what's going on. You can't throw back a, a, a first big league home run off the foul pole. You can't throw that into the crowd. Uh, no. You, you got to get the, I'm glad the Cubs were able to get the ball back. Yeah. Come on. Come on. Right. Well, I got to wake up. I, Mike Nash. I had read that. And that's weird to me too, that it took the first base coach to run out there. Well, he and probably like, ran out there and be like, no, no, yeah. no, don't throw that over. And credit to the fan, too, for, for understanding. I'm sure they got something in return. Maybe they got an autographed Astros bat or ball, or maybe you're aware of what they got, Randall. But good on the fan for doing the right thing here for the player. Now, here's a question for the two of you, and I've thought about this a lot. Let's say that you catch a milestone home run like that. And, you know, Mervis's first home run, a little different than a guy hitting his 300th or 400th or whatever. What do you ask for from the player and or the team in return for giving them the ball. Cause I've thought about this a lot. What do you ask for? Well, I think the obvious qualifier to this is it certainly depends on the significance of the home run. Right. If we're talking like set the all time home run record. I'm taking a payday because that's life changing. And that sets me up and my family up and look, that's how that goes. If you're talking about the first career home run for a guy in this case, like the opposing team as well, what I would ask to do is if, can I deliver the ball to him? That's, that's all that I want. If, if they want to give me something, great. But let me hand the ball to him, shake his hand, and say, hey, man, that was awesome, and I caught it. You know, That's all that I need from a player in that situation. But very different ballgame if we're talking like all-time home run king. I've taken the paycheck big yeah, time. Yeah, we're, we're, talking, we're talking something that's more significant to a player more yeah. so than to the history of the game. Obviously, like you said, that changes – everything yeah but you're not asking for anything back from the player no, no memorabilia no nothing you just no, want to hand it to him and shake his hand shake his hand congratulate him that that to me is perfect if if they want to hand me a bat or or what am i going to do with the like, like let's say we're at wrigley and i'm in the bleachers with jeremy here and some guy in the astros hits his first home run like what am i going to do with some random player on the astros cleats i don't need that just let me shake his hand congratulate him here and and i i would like to think that the athlete would genuinely appreciate that and you'd have a cool moment right there like that's all that i need i don't need cleats from some random guy on the astros well let's say it's a cubs player does that change your calculus any or are you still only oh, asking no. to give it to him and shake his hand all the more reason to give wow. it to him and shake his hand. Wow. I, don't need, Jeremy, I don't need, yeah. Jeremy, where do you fall? Well, I, I, I'd i probably be a little bit more of a, uh, I guess, a dick again than uh, Ronan. Uh, I definitely need a meet. Like, that's 100%. Uh, definitely, you know, I want to be the one delivering him back the ball. That That's what I want to do. Uh, but I probably would ask for some sort of gear or something, or maybe even tickets to a, a future game, right? I, I You know, maybe like an autographed batting glove, an autographed bat. I think that would be cool. I think I would 
an autograph bat would actually be pretty cool. Um, so if, if that makes me selfish, whatever, I don't know. But uh, yeah, I probably would say, hey, I, you know, I'll deliver him the ball. I want to be there and hand it to him. And then like, uh, you know, what's in it for me? Like I made this great catch. I boxed out Zach Hample. I knocked him down <laughs> and I caught the ball. Well, and, knocking uh, him down is a public service. We thank you yeah. for that. And uh, so I, for my services, I, uh, I want a Matt Mervis uh, autographed baseball bat. Yeah. yeah, like I, I'd want something out of it. Like I, Ronan, I like your idea. I want to deliver it to him, shake his hand, maybe get a picture. But I want, I want a little something tangible. I'd at least ask for like an autographed baseball, and I have to think that they can facilitate sure. that pretty easy. Autographed baseball. I like Jeremy's idea of an autographed bat, and then maybe see if you can get some tickets out of it. You know, talk to the Cubs. Hey, you got an empty suite for an upcoming game. You, you want to hand to a, a really nice fan, or you know, I'll take those off your hands. But yeah, I'd, I'd want a little something. And I think an autographed ball at the very minimum, uh, in addition to, you know, maybe a handshake and a photo, I would at least start with an autographed ball and then see what else I could get out of that. I don't think that makes me, uh, to use your parlance, a dick, but you know, yeah. I'm a, I'm a reasonable memorabilia guy. And this is a great opportunity to get, you know, a real nice item to put on the proverbial mantle uh, you know, that, that, that they're not going to have any issue providing. Yeah. Like if they I, can't have the guy sign a baseball and give that to me, then what are we doing here? Right. I don't blame either of you for that. I don't think Jeremy makes you a dick for, you know, at all. I, I think that most fans would expect something sort of back. And, and I don't blame it. I'm, I'm not a big collector guy. I think when it comes to baseball gear, the, the one thing that I have a higher volume of than I'd say a lot of Cubs fans in the last 30 years is if you recall in the mid 2000s for a number of years there, they had these giveaways of autographed baseballs and you got like a scratch ticket. And if you scratch the ticket and it was kind of a high number, like they had 500 that would go out on a day. And through that, uh, I got a Billy Williams and Ernie Banks and an Aramis Ramirez just by going to the ballpark. And they, you walk in the door, they hand you that little thing. You scratch it off like a lotto ticket. And it was so sort of odd in retrospect, like you never win anything at any ballpark. And in that era there, the mid two thousands, for a number of years we got them and they're in my dad's office right now and th that's the, the extent of it though in terms of like baseball autographs we got a, a harry carey i think and a pat hughes somewhere in the house but other than that i mean it, baseball? it's uh no pictures yeah Microphone? pictures yeah <laughs> i should have gotten a signed mic from pat but uh should have taken, those... taken our I friend do. mike and had pat sign him so mike if you're up to that let rona know he'll have pat sign you do you I, that era, though, of those I, I do remember that era with those with those kind of things that scratch up. Just not Cubs, though, but I always think it's kind of funny. Uh, whenever as a season ticket holder to the Bears, my and my dad always fills out like a little lottery kind of thing, like a raffle that they have because they always are raffling off autographed gear and not actual game worn gear, but you know stuff. And uh, over like our twenty years of having season tickets, my dad's won. Three times we have wow. a Devin Hester, Devin Hester autographed jersey, wow. a uh, Kyle Long autographed football, and a Darnell Mooney autographed helmet. And it's always funny because they just like while we're sitting at the game, they just walk up to you and they say like, "Here's your Darnell Mooney autographed helmet," and I have to hold this the, like the entire second half. It's Thank like, you. What? Just what just what I <laughs> ordered. You know, seat, seat delivering on my autographed Mooney helmet. Hey, that Hester jersey is going to be a nice item when they finally put him in the Hall of Fame, like Hopefully. they should. And then, and of course, everybody's looking at you like, why do you have a helmet? And it's like, oh, because I'm helmet. special. Deal with it. Yeah. It might be autographed big. by Darnell Mooney. <laughs> and those are not small, man. No, uh, no. Uh, NFL helmets are big, big pieces of gear. Uh, one other player here, and I, I don't want to spend more than 15 seconds on this. Uh, Tucker Barnhart has been terrible. 
two-year deal, guys. Tucker Barnhart. Been Unplayable. Awesome. Eat it. Eat it. Get rid of him. Call Amaya up. Split time between the two of them. Unplayable. You, yeah, you can't keep playing him. It's not working. Uh, player option, I believe, for that second year. And of course, yeah, I'm, I'm optioning to not keep the player. That's my player option. I'm just saying, I, I will say, yeah, he's been definitely been terrible with the bat and it's been bad. I will say though, like his, if you're just looking at savant numbers, like his framing is 83rd percentile, still strong at blocking pitches and stuff. So I, I think they'll keep, probably keep him around. I do. I prefer Miguel Maya, like, but I just think they're probably going to want Amaya to play right in Iowa and not just sitting as whenever Jan Gomes doesn't come off. So if you're getting Tucker Barnhart and I think, you know, I don't want Tucker Barnhart, but if it's whenever Jan Gomes gets an off day, like maybe once a week, I I, I feel like that's probably going to be the situation. One other thing here, before we go down to the farm, Randall, speaking of your tweets, you don't like that ballpark in Houston, do you? I have no fond memories to quote myself. Yeah. Like picture of me on the wall behind me. I'm quoting myself. I have no fond memories of the Cubs playing in Houston. Not to say there haven't been good moments here and there game from 2004. They hit a bunch of home runs, 2008 Giovanni Soto of all people hitting an inside the park home run on silly, silly bounce off one of those dumb walls. I have no big scale memories of the Cubs doing good things in Houston. It's just not a park where it seems like they've ever really played well for full stretches. It's a lot like uh, Chase Chase Field in that regard. It's just not a place I look forward to the Cubs going. I'm glad they only have to go there every other year, even with the damn flagpole gone. I, I don't like that ballpark. I don't like it. I don't miss it. I don't miss playing a divisional schedule there. There's nothing about it that I miss. Except for the pumpkins. I miss Ron Santos pumpkins <laughs> up in left field by the train. Other than that, I don't miss I don't miss any part of it. You know, Jeremy, you mentioned this at the beginning of the show, but I I kind of miss Houston, right? As a kid growing up, Astros Cubs, it was all the damn time. And the Astros had amazing teams and rosters in that era. You think about the Kerry Wood 20 strikeout game, it's impressive for a number of reasons. But one of the reasons it's impressive is because he did that against the lineup of Hall of Famers, one of the best offenses in baseball, and he was out there mowing them down for 20 strikeouts. So I get a little nostalgic, Jeremy, when I see the Cubs go down to Houston. I'll get to my thoughts on the ballpark in a moment, but I kind of miss Cubs-Astros. That was, that was my childhood. You played the Cardinals, you played the Astros. I agree with you. I, I miss that as well. Like I have you know, the killer bees, the Astro dome, and then moving into what is currently Minute Maid Park. Of course, you know, you want to talk Cubs and Astros, you got to also remember that historic moment in Miller Park when uh, uh, Carlos Zambrano, you know, had a no hitter against them. But I, I miss it. I miss, I miss them going down. I remember when they built that stadium at opening in, in 2000 and it was kind of like a funky, they have that weird left field that's short. I, I still miss Tiles Hill in, in center field in the flagpole. I know it probably wasn't great for the players, but I, I miss it just as a fan. Um, but yeah, it's, it's you know, it, it, it had some interesting things about it. And just, I agree with you, like for a nostalgic aspect, I, I always miss the Astros not being that National League team. I still mm-hmm. even think of them as a National League team. Yeah, and I'll central team. Exactly. Jim Deshaies, yeah, man. You know, playing, playing the Astros as a as the nostalgia, that's fine. You know, uh, the Reds in there, like vest jerseys with the black trim. That'll always be evocative of the, the mid 2000s to me. Like playing the Astros divisionally, that's fine for nostalgia. I just don't miss the ballpark. I don't miss having to go to Houston and play in that silly ballpark. Do, do you have any memories, Randall, good or bad, of the Astrodome? No, no, none. No, because it's my, kind of, yeah. Yeah, my baseball formative years came post Astrodome. Because I, I remember the Astrodome. <laughs> yeah. I have a good memory in terms of, I remember when Sammy hit number 66 
Yeah. And it was like a big deal. And they had, you know, double Scott and ESPN, I think maybe like with him and McGuire and, and he had a 66 homer and McGuire, I think at the time only had 65. And at that moment, for whatever time and period it was, Sammy Sosa was the all time uh, home run leader uh, in single season record books. And then I think McGuire, like a half hour later, hit his 66, then hit his 67th in the same game. And Sammy was stuck at 66, yeah. but he crushed one in uh, the Astrodome. I remember that it was yeah. a 66 home and I would tell fans to go on YouTube and type that in. You can watch that home run on YouTube right now. Look at the Astrodome. And just think about, like, Major League Parks, for the most part, have been modernized over the last 20 years or so. With the exception of maybe two cities, they're all generally nice places to go to a ball game. There's nothing like the Astrodome. And watching that on, on TV as a kid, playing video games as a kid, and seeing the Astrodome was just one of those things where it's like, what, where the hell are they playing? What is going on in that place? They don't build anything like it anymore. So uh, for old times' sakes, take a look at it. But with regards to the new park, and I will continue to call it Enron, uh, it's Enron Field down there in Houston. Um, two things that stood out to me this past week. One, they have crammed advertisements into every possible inch of that ballpark and left field was probably the worst example of it where you've got ads on the walls you've got ads on the like the facade below the train tracks above the seating area it's just total chaos when a ball gets hit to left field and you're just looking at like literally no joke 20 ads at one time as the ball is hit out that way but something else that caught my eye and i i don't think this is common in many other ballparks they have a mini warning track for the foul lines down the right and left field line I don't know if you guys noticed that here, that like the area in right field at Wrigley where you've just got the paint or the chalk on the grass in Houston, they've got like a little one and a half to two foot like strip of dirt. And what it kind of reminded me of, if, if you remember a couple of years ago in Phoenix, they had the strip of dirt from the pitcher's mound to home plate. Uh, Detroit used to have that at Comerica. That's kind of been phased out of Major League Baseball. The, the little dirt mini warning track down the lines is just a bizarre thing, but it also impacts the ball, right? Because when the ball hits where the grass and the dirt meet, you get weird bounces. So it's just one more little thing that I'm watching the games this week going, I can't think of any other park right now in baseball that has that extra little warning track just for the chalk down the right, uh, right and left field line. It's just bizarre to see it in my mind. That's funny because I remember watching it and I remember seeing it and I remember thinking about it in the moment, but then – Outside them up, I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting and weird with that little – and I, I vividly recall thinking about it. But then if you were to ask me about it later, just like not until you mentioned it, it just went straight out of my mind. But, yeah, you're right about – especially about that, you know, the the pitching dirt that was strip of – that went from yeah. the mound to Comerica. I remember uh, I think Arizona had it too for a while uh, yeah. there. But, yeah, I, I do – I know exactly what you're talking about, that dirt. That's, uh, that's interesting. I, I agree with you. I remember seeing it and just thinking like, huh, that's interesting Well, when yeah. I saw it. And anytime a ball gets hit down the line, you're always sort of anticipating what's the bounce going to be off of the wall. But that adds another little wrinkle to it as it's sort of going down the line. And like, look at Wrigley Field. Just look at a picture of Wrigley Field. Look at a picture of Enron Field down there in Houston. And you're going to see these little warning tracks along with the uh, chalk. So just one of those strange things along with just the onslaught of ads that they've got. And um, it made me sort of nostalgic and miss the Astrodome a little bit watching the Cubs play in that oddball park down in Houston. Uh, minor leaguers. Randall, there's one minor leaguer that uh, has your attention right now. Who, who are we thinking about? Well, we've got a Prospect Corner uh, alumna, alumnus here. He was on uh, one of last season's Prospect Corners. We're going to have to let him out of the Prospect Corner eventually. He's probably getting lonely there. But that's Jake Slaughter, the 26-year-old infielder currently playing for the AAA Iowa Cubs. In 29 games for those Iowa Cubs, he's been a big part of that high-powered offense. 
eight home runs, 35 driven in in those 29 games. He has a 901 OPS, playing mostly third base, some second base. In his career, he also has time at first base and in left field. He is old for the level. He's 26 already, and he's still playing at Iowa. He's never made it above AAA, but that's uh, that's a pretty good hitter going on. And the question is, is it worth a look? Do you have a need in the infield? You're pretty set at second base between Horner, who we hope is back soon, I guess Madrigal, maybe, uh, between Morel, between, I guess, Master Boney as well, who is on the 40-man. So you have a, a glut at second base. But if Patrick Wisdom were to get hurt at any point, or if he were to just completely fall off a cliff, question is, would you give a 40-man spot to a guy like Jake Slaughter and he see what he can do at the minor league level? So it's a guy whose numbers I've enjoyed following. He's hit a little bit at every level. He put himself on the radar last season playing with double A Tennessee. And I'm very curious to see if he potentially gets some major league time later this year. I don't think he's much of a, a trade piece because, again, he's already 26. So his he may have more value potentially as a depth piece for the Cubs than he would in trade. But Jake Slaughter is my uh, my single out guy for this week's prospect corner. So keep an eye on him playing for those uh, high powered offense Iowa Cubs. The LSU Tiger, uh, Jake Slaughter. There's there's a college one there I know uh, as a uh, I yeah he's an interesting guy because he probably play a lot of positions pretty well uh, in the middle infield or, and, and at third, but uh, I don't know. I, it feels to me like there's kind of a crunch with middle infielders that comes to have. So there's I, definitely I a crunch. You have, a I don't quite there. see him getting him up there right now. Yeah, You don't necessarily have a need for him, but he's a very good depth piece to have. And we know that things happen. Guys are badly injured uh, guys, just completely ineffective. And again, I'm curious to see if he does end up getting major league time this year and under what circumstances, whether it's injury, whether it's shipping a guy out, whether it's just complete ineffectiveness. But that's a guy I've enjoyed. I've enjoyed following his numbers as he's come up through the minors. Two levels last year, South Bend to Tennessee. He's up to Iowa. And again, if you're at Iowa and you're hitting and there's a need, you're a, you're even less of a phone call away um, yeah. than you are at double A. Yeah. Um, lots happening in Iowa right now in the starting rotation and with everyday players. So we'll be watching it. The Cubs are not where we wanted to be. 500 right now, five games out of first place. It is time to bring in some reinforcements, figure out what's going on before the season gets away from them. So good stuff, Randall. I, I love when you bring in the minor leaguers into the show and give us a chance to talk about that. Uh, before we break here today, there's just some other stories across baseball I wanted to get so everybody's thoughts on um, the Cardinals. So a couple weeks ago, they go to Wrigley Field. They're terrible, 11 and 24. The Athletic posts a story about how the Cardinals are down and out. This is the chance for the Cubs to take it. Uh, dumbest headline, most premature story this year across baseball. Very, very stupid, in my opinion, coming from the folks over there at the Athletic. Since then, Cardinals red hot. They hold off. The Dodgers tonight with a seven-run eighth inning. They've won nine of their last 11 ball games now, and suddenly the Cardinals are right back in the middle of everything. How many times have we seen a Chicago team have the opportunity to drive a stake through the heart of a rival, and they don't do it, and they, they just go on to do terrible things? Jeremy, what year was it that the Hawks couldn't take out the Canucks in the playoffs and the Canucks ended up going to the Stanley cup final. Uh, it was the year after they won the cup in 2010. So it was Okay. So there's that. How many times have we seen the bears have an opportunity to, to put the Packers away for good. They don't take it. And the Packers go on to do something just insanely obnoxious. Take the opportunity to kill the Chris goddamn Conte. monster. 
take the opportunity to kill the goddamn monster when you have a chance. I firmly believe that Cardinals team was reeling. They were dealing with Wilson, not catching anymore, whatever. If the Cubs had not completely shit themselves that series, I firmly believe that the Cardinals would not be on this run, but the Cubs simply could not do anything to put them away. And now we have to sit here and read about how the Cardinals are winners of nine of their last 11. I hate it. And the big guy tonight is recording this tonight, uh, Thursday, Wilson Contreras, not one, but two home runs, six driven in the Cardinals did everything they could to blow a seven run lead. And then added a seven run, th- uh, seven run eighth inning to put the game away. So don't look now, but the Cardinals are coming. And uh, I said on the show, when I saw that headline, the dumbest thing that I read in a long time at the beginning of May to say this team is down and out and it's over. And here we are. I, I, I would not be surprised if the Cardinals win the division this year. Right. I, I even I mean, me personally, even if the Cubs had, let's say, swept them, I, I still think they I don't think they would have been dead. I, I still I mean, this division's not good enough, I think, in my opinion, for those 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 guys would have figured something out. They wouldn't have they Nolan Arenado, uh, Paul Goldschmidt, they wouldn't have been you know, just out of it. And it's funny to see now Wilson Contreras back at catcher, apparently with like Jack Flaherty apologizing to him and everything that they've kind of gone on this little bit of a run. So uh, yeah, hopefully, you know, Cubs, hopefully the Cubs can make a little bit of a run themselves and uh, we keep the Cardinals behind us a little bit because right now it's only one game. What yep. a load of horse shit. You fixed Wilson Contreras' catching problem in a week. It's almost like there wasn't a catching problem and you're a bunch of dumbasses who love attention and drama. It's my story and I'm sticking to it. Or there is a catching problem and they're trying to figure it out. And I do think there is a catching problem. I think Wilson's going to hit enough this year for St. Louis, but I still have got plenty of questions marks about his ability as a backstop. I mean, but the Cardinals are hot. Yeah. No doubt about it. Uh, Two teams in the National League that are not so hot, including a team the Cubs are going to see this weekend, a Philadelphia three under, the Padres four under. These are two teams that were expected to contend for division titles, maybe even a pennant this year. Certainly in the case of the Padres, everybody thought this was the year the Padres were going to overtake the Dodgers. Here's what I think. Everybody needs to pump the brakes a little bit, right? These guys are a couple of games out of a playoff spot right now. They're both going to be fine. So I think there's a bit of an overreaction right now from baseball fans due to slow starts in San Diego and Philly. What do you think, right or wrong there? Yeah, you know, I think this Padres team, by definition, is a lot better than what they are playing as. But that's that's still a lot of money, a lot of really big names. And I'm just envisioning a scenario in which the Padres give up a lot for Juan Soto at the deadline last year, 2022. This year doesn't go as planned, and he ends up giving, you know, he ends up hitting free agency. And the Padres will have made one of these huge moves and not seen any any real dividends from it. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but it's a very realistic scenario. And like, like I said, there's a lot of talent on this Padres roster enough. So that they probably shouldn't be four under 500. So like you said, it's still relatively early. And aside from the Dodgers, that's really not a great division. So plenty of time to make a move, but yeah, right now that's a a big name team. That's very top heavy and they are struggling. Right. And I think Juan Soto is a free agent. After next year, I, I, still, I still think they have one more year after him. No, he is a free agent. Uh, well, they, they may still have him under team control, I guess is the best way to put it. Right. Um, but no, I mean, I don't right. think they're, they're going to non-tender they are, him. You're right. No, you're right. They're not going to non-tender him. I was giving him free agency a year early. Sorry, Juan. I was trying to, trying to free you from there a year early. But, you know, you're still going to have to figure out how do you keep him because you gave up so much. So, But they've got an extra year to figure right. it out. You are correct. Just because he's only signed for one year does not mean he's still under team control. My bad. We'll we'll strike that from the record. It's all right. It's all right. Uh, you know, you never know. Maybe they do 
you know, who knows? It's scuffling. You get a year and a half for Juan Soto. But uh, uh, I, yeah, it's an interesting kind of predicament where there's kind of a few of these types of teams where you see the Phillies, the uh, Padres, and I'm going to throw the Mets in there as well as kind of the three teams that in the offseason you would say these are the three teams that like went out, spent a ton of money. Uh, all, all three, I mean, they made huge signs. The Mets, obviously, the Phillies with Trey Turner, uh, the Padres went out and signed Bogertz. And the, all the and you're like looking like these are what your ownerships you you want to emulate, and they've kind of been scuffling to start the year. And not I'm not saying I'm not trying to be negative about it uh, about them like what they did, but they're scuffling to start the year. And and it's kind of interesting because at some point, and we're not at that point yet. And I generally agree with you that you know a long way to go. Teams have the opportunity, two good teams for the most part. I think they'll turn that around, but at some point, like you have to kind of kick it in gear. Cause like we saw with the White Sox last year. Like they kind of scuffled the whole year and then by it was too late to really even in a weak division to make a move in, in like September. So uh, hopefully it doesn't happen, though, in these next two weeks, because the Cubs are playing all three of these teams. You know, Jeremy, as we were filling out this rundown tonight, what's going on around the league? I was going to mention the Mets and the Phillies both struggling, but I saw what we did for the Twins. I saw what we did for the Astros. I really didn't feel like doing that. And so that's why I picked the Padres, because the Cubs are not playing them again uh, immediately. And so we can say that they are struggling without worrying about jinxing the next two or three series. So that's just me being pragmatic. All right. The three division-leading teams right now in the National League, Atlanta in the East, Milwaukee, and the Dodgers, the three wildcard teams right now in the National League. And who would have guessed this prior to the season starting? Arizona, Pittsburgh, Miami. Those three teams there, Arizona, Pittsburgh, Miami, do any of them make the postseason this year? I'm going to say no. I, I don't think any of them make it. And I think that's kind of why, if you're a Cubs fan, that's not, I mean, not that I think the Cubs are going to make the playoffs, but why you kind of still have some hope even going into June or whatever with this section. Like, I think those wildcard spots are up for grabs. I think anybody, it's anybody's game. Now, you don't want to really be playing with the Mets, Phillies, and Padres to get them, but they've been scuffling. So I, I, I don't think the, I don't think the Pirates will. I don't think the Marlins will, and I'm I'm still skeptical on the D-backs, even with their talent. You know, I'm wondering if the D-backs do hold on. Now, not in, you know, not in like a top wild card spot. Maybe they do hold on and grab the number three spot. Far far be it from me to give the Diamondbacks any credit for anything, but that's just something that's tickling my brain that we see bearing out by the end of the year. And maybe I've jinxed them right out of that wild card spot. And if I have, that's not the worst thing in the world ever. But that's just a that's just a gut prediction that maybe the D-backs hold on and they make the the lower wild card spot. Inversely, over in the American League, the American League East right now, every single team in the division is over 500. The last place team in the division is the Boston Red Sox. They are 24 and 20. That's basically the Brewers' record right now, the leader in the National League Central. Randall, every team in the American League East is over 500. Amazing. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough division. We know that's a division that beats up on them a lot. How about the Baltimore Orioles? in second place in that division. And that's with their, you know, former top prospect, current current guy, Gunnar Henderson, struggling. So that's a that's a tough division. I'm, I've, you know, not that it would ever bear out that way. I'm glad the Cubs don't play in that division because uh, they would be completely buried. And you know, again, there's no scenario in which the Cubs would, uh, there's no scenario in which the Cubs would play in the American League East. But uh, yeah, that's a, that's a tough division. They're just going to keep beating up on each other and taking pieces out of each other the whole rest of the way. Because you got some really good teams in that division. The Cubs would be uh, four and a half games back of last place uh, in that division. I mean, the White Sox would be wow. they're they're eight and a half games back of the Twins. They would be eight and a half games back of last place 
in that division in the AL East if they had moved to the AL East. Uh, you know, the Red Sox had this huge kind of hot streak and they're in last place in the division, four games over 500. So, yeah, just an absolutely incredible division. The Rays, we all know what the Rays did to get off to such start, but the Rays have kind of run into some trouble lately. Like, yeah, all of their arms in the bullpen have gotten hurt and who knows where the bullpen is coming from uh and so yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be a fight that division is gonna be the most fun division to watch especially now that we don't really have a, we have the un, uh we have a balanced schedule now so they're not gonna beat up on each other they're gonna beat up on everybody else so it's gonna be fun to see who really can they do all five at the end of the year if you are 500 who knows the two weakest divisions it appears uh, National League Central and the American League Central yes. at this time. And despite the fact that both Central divisions are trash, I think that's fair to say, the two Chicago teams not playing very good baseball, not being very competitive in their respective divisions. It appears it's going to come down to the Twins and the Guardians in the American League Central. The Tigers are kind of around, but that team isn't going to be able to stick with it, I don't think. Um, and the National League Central, Cardinals are coming. So uh, just uncomfortable times right now and a damn shame that the two Chicago teams aren't more competitive. I was thinking about this earlier. Uh, Sam Zell passed away. We found that out today, and I got to thinking about late 2000s Cubs. And, Randall, I did something that's probably your favorite hobby in the entire world. Okay. I went to the Chicago White Sox subreddit. And I went on there and I said, let's see what Sox fans are talking about. Because Jeremy had mentioned recently White Sox fans have been really high on Jackson Frazier, and he's mostly been seeing it on Twitter. Well, I prefer to spend my time over on the Reddit for the most part. And I'm in there reading about the White Sox. And this fan was talking about sort of the the comparison for the White Sox, those mid to late 2000s teams. And what the person's point basically was is that they preferred the 2008 team to the 2005 team, even though 05 won the World Series. They liked the 08 roster better. They loved Griffey kind of coming in or what was left of Griffey at that <laughs> point. They just loved like the 08 team more than the 05 team. And I can kind of understand why some Sox fans might feel that way. But the other point that brought up was 2008. The Cubs and the White Sox both made the playoffs. Both teams were competitive in our lifetimes. How often have both of those teams been competitive at the same time? Right, Only 2008 time was the, the playoff time, right? right but playoff teams time. that were good down to the end here, and maybe one team made the playoffs, another one missed it, it's, it's, it's a rare thing for the city of Chicago to have both teams be good. And despite the fact that their divisions are trash, neither team is really competing right now, and that stinks. Because that definitely... was fun in 08. Oh, yeah, I agree with you. I, and that uh, was kind of like – I remember because it was – uh, almost 100 years from a little more than 100 years from when the White Sox and the Cubs uh, played during the World Series, which is the only other time that the White Sox and the Cubs both made the playoffs is 1906 and 2008. Wow. What a storied um, history of both franchises. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty crazy to think about. Um, and I remember seeing some numbers about like the odds of that happening and they were astronomical that you would think yeah. if this would happen. I mean, compared to New York, it's like teams always make the playoffs against each other. Uh, but yeah, it's it's been, you know, the White Sox had a, a brutal decade, like brutal decade, 2013 to, to now, really. Um, it's been brutal and the Cubs were competitive for most of that decade. And now if you're, we expected this switch, right? A lot of people, a lot of White Sox fans are chirping. We kind of expected the Cubs, to be, White Sox to be competitive and the Cubs not to be competitive. But uh, we, the White Sox never really kind of took that step. They did make the playoffs in 2020, did make it in 2021. Cubs, hey, 2020, Cubs and White Sox both made the playoffs. So I forgot about yeah. that one. <laughs> yeah, White Sox fans don't chirp. It's more like grunting, a, a lot of really low guttural noises. Uh, and, you know, I've said this before, but there were people 
uncommitted enough that as the White Sox looked like they were on the upswing and the Cubs were looking like they were, oh, I'm going to jump ship and be a White Sox fan. Good luck with that. I hope you enjoyed it. Do not expect me to open the door for you on the way back in. You left. That door only <laughs> opens in one direction, my friends. Have fun. I just It's fun for the city when both teams are good. You can get a big attendance or larger attendances maybe with regards to the south side. Uh, and it's fun. It's far more fun when the Cubs and Sox fans are sort of chirping because both teams are trying to make things happen than right now where it's like Cubs and Sox fans chirping with each other right now. It's way worse for the Sox in my opinion, because this was supposed to be their their time where they were winning pennants and maybe winning multiple World Series. I saw a Sox fan again, Randall, on the White Sox subreddit who was saying, you know, the Cubs really only had one truly bad year. Because in 2020, I mean, 19 wasn't good, how it ended, but they were still competitive most of the year. 2020, they win the division, and then the playoffs weren't so good. 2021 was okay until mid-June, right, or early June. Yeah, somewhere in there. 2022 was truly bad, though, right? Yeah. So the Cubs have had one, like, truly bad season here since they got competitive in 2015. The White Sox are, have been awful, and they had a very small window of actually getting into the postseason, and that never really went well for them. Even in Oakland in, was it 20? It was a horrible 20. series for the White Sox, and it just felt like all the momentum got sucked out, and they've never really recovered from that. So, I, I uh, Randall, you got to spend some time with me over the White Sox subreddit. You'd love it over there. What inspires a man to stare into the inky depths of the White Sox subreddit? I have two whatever, answers to that. Whatever it is that inspires a man to do that, I hope to never be inspired to do that. Well, what I see a lot of, and I live in Denver, is Denver media. And Denver media doesn't care about the Rockies. Uh, they, they care right now about the Nuggets, rightfully so. But this is a Broncos town all year. 20 minutes before the Western Conference Final, game one between the Lakers and the Nuggets, the top sports radio station in Denver was talking about the Broncos. That gives you a sense of the media here. But Rockies media here is pumped up about the fact that they are just four games out of the last wild card spot, despite the fact that there's six teams between them and that spot. Like, there's a huge gap. It may only look like four games, but making up four games on six different teams is damn near impossible. So I just, that's what I read every day. So when I don't want to read about that, I venture down to the South side. I go, okay, what's going on here with Chicago White Sox fans? What is, who are the White Sox Randalls and what is grinding their gears today? First of all, there are no White Sox Randalls. The White Sox, White Sox fandom does not nearly rate a Randall. There's one Randall and he is a Cubs fan. Second of all, you cure the ills of reading bad media by reading even worse fans. Yeah, fan base. Like that's, that's a cure. That's not even a cure worse than the disease. That's a disease that you go give yourself to get out of having another disease, but it doesn't work. And then you just have two diseases at once and there's no <laughs> cure for either of them. I, I enjoyed like I, I don't I don't read Reddit necessarily, but I, I you know, I inspired you to go there because I talked to you about White Sox Twitter and I read a lot of White Sox yeah. Twitter because I find it interesting to see what the other fan bases are saying about their Agreed. own teams. Agreed. About, you know, other teams. And yeah, you know, the White Sox, oh, you know, you look back at the decade, the 2010s, and in my opinion, the three worst organizations in baseball in the 2010s were the Marlins, the Padres, and the White Sox. And the Padres are kind of on this up now. The Marlins, who knows what they're doing. And the White Sox, like the White Sox and the Padres were kind of at the same point. And the Padres spent and, yeah. and made this kind of move and to go. 
and the White Sox didn't. And if you're a White Sox fan and you're looking at, I, I always see a lot of jokes uh, on the White Sox where about like the high point of the White Sox rebuild, rebuild was a Larry Garcia home run in the you know, in the ALDS in 2021 um, where they got their playoff win. Uh, but if you're looking at the future and who knows like what's going on with this year, because they're completely, I'm not going to say they're dead, but they're pretty out of it. And they start trading pieces like Tim Anderson goes, the other guys goes, what is your future? Yeah. You don't know what's going on at the top. Like Rick Hahn going to get another rebuild. Kenny Williams. If you want to talk Cubs versus White Sox over the next five years, like who would you rather be right now? Yeah. Cubs, definitely Cubs. And it's and too bad that for the, you're totally right. Um, it's too bad for the White Sox. I'm not going to cry for their fans, nope. but uh, what a disaster. And that is a, that is a perfect example of an owner completely torpedoing the momentum of an organization and right when you need to spend real money and right when you need to just put the finishing touches you go and you get the john lester to put your team over the top they bring in tony la Russa and everything just goes goes to bed it's just just awful highest contract in team history 75 million dollars for andrew benatendi yep. who has not hit a home run it's, not, it's it is we're nearing the end of may he does not have a home run. Boy, he had three last year. <laughs> and yet things are even worse on the west side in Chicago yeah. with Jerry's Chicago Bulls. Right. Apparently, they, did they I don't have they a draft have, pick. They don't have a draft pick. How is, is it correct. possible, Randall, that the Bulls do not have a draft pick? Well, they traded their first round pick to Orlando as part of the Nikola Vucevic trade, and it was protected only within the top four, which the lottery was not kind to them. They did not move into the top four. And so the pick conveyed to Orlando and their second round pick was stripped by the league for tampering related to the Lonzo ball signing, which whatever. Uh, and so to that, gotcha. to that, uh, to that effect, the bulls do not currently hold a draft pick in the 2023 NBA draft. And I think they've, they've only had like two first rounders in the last five years or something crazy. Like, cause two of them were traded for Vucevic. Uh, cause they didn't have a year, first round year. They drafted IO cause he was their only pick in the draft Correct. in the second round. So it's, it's been interesting way of building a team down there or building. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, anything else in the majors? Either of you want to bring us home with? Yeah, you know, Yankees cheating, Yankees cheating Navy allegations. I don't think they're doing it with uh, technological means or trash can means, but it seems like there might be some sign stealing going on, which if that's the case, Blue Jays, hide your signs better. You know, see if you can parse out what the signs are without using any kind of uh, artificial means. That's uh, that's part of the game. Blue Jays can hide their signs better. And And to go on to that, the interesting part of that story to me was the fact that the pitcher who was supposedly was tipping his pitches, this former Cubs prospect, Jay Jackson, who I didn't even know was back in the majors. And that, to me, I know he had some time with the Brewers and whatever, but like that is, he was the number five prospect on the Cubs list in like 2010. That's like a decade ago. And he's just kind of, you know, barely made it a couple times. I'm shocked he's still pitching. I'm shocked he was still in the majors. It was just crazy to see that name come across like Jay Jackson. Yeah, Jeremy, he's been with a different he's been with a different major league team each of the last three seasons. Uh the Giants in 2021, the Braves in 2022. And I had the same reaction you did when I saw him pop up with the Blue Jays. I go, that Jay Jackson? Wow. The Jay Jackson? And he's still kicking around. So good for him. All right. I want to end with this. Uh I am participating 
Saturday in the Rockies home run 5K. And the reason why I mention it is, one, it ends on the field at Coors Field. So I'm very excited about that. The final end of the race, you run across the warning track. So that'll be cool. But number two, Jeremy, I got my bib. 2-2-2-3 is my number on Saturday. So I've got Randall and Rhino on my chest when I run through lower downtown Denver on Saturday morning. I, I, I can't be beat, right? I'm finishing first because I've got Randall and Rhino on my chest. Well, I hope we're not actually attached to you because that's going to slow you down a great deal. Uh, you know, me, 22, a, 23, Randall is perfect. I, I'm just saying, I'm just saying physically, if you actually had us attached to you, I think you'd have some trouble running. But what are the odds? Like, I don't know if it's like, I'm sure it's just like a random number generator that gives you your bib number and you end up yeah. with your favorite digits and digits uh, significant to Chicago sports history. What are the odds? Should be fun. I, I had read that they're anticipating um, three to 5,000 people five, out there. 5K running. for a 5K. Yeah, which is fun. I think it's a missed opportunity, though. It should be the Dinger Dash. It should. The Dinger Dash. It should be but the Dinger Dash. It's the you Rockies. can make it more interesting by having a lot of people in like Dinger costumes and they chase the runners. Triceratops were herbivorous, so not super threatening, but I think that would be great motivation being chased by a dinosaur to run your 5K. Yeah, that would be fun if you had just like a pack, a herd, a herd of dinosaurs to chase the runners. That's right. Uh, like, you know, you see the the bull, the running fox. of the triceratopses. Yeah. Yeah. But Dinger will be waiting for me on the outfield at Coors Field. And that's as well. Be he should. And I will be wearing a Chicago Cubs hat for the Colorado Rockies 5K. So I'm looking forward to it Saturday morning. Uh, also, Rockies fan Saturday, John Gray, Kyle Freeland. In wow. a matchup on Saturday. I wish it was here in Denver because I would go pay a couple of dollars to see that ball game, but it's down in Texas. Uh, don't you'd be surprised if you looked at their numbers, both of them not playing in pitchers ballparks, having really nice starts to the year here in 2023. So that's the Rockies news of the day here in Denver, but I'm excited for the Dinger Dash Saturday morning. Uh, Cubs in Philly this weekend. Uh, pray for no rain. Let's let these pitchers go out and do what they need to do without any interruptions. The Phillies have dropped four in a row since they called the Rockies a loser organization. <laughs> so happened. the Cubs, who are scuffling, facing another scuffling team in the city of brotherly love this weekend. Let's go get them. Take at least one, but certainly two would be good to get through this weekend. Anything but a sweep. In the spirit of Joe Madden's try not to suck, make an effort to not embarrass yourselves. That's all yeah. I ask. Randall and then will come be back watching. to Wrigley. Yeah. Uh, and after that, a nine-game homestand for the Cubs. So let's see if they can get some momentum coming back home. We'll be back next week behind the yellow line. We'll see ya.